Was that me or you? <laughs> what, what was that notification? I bet, what, what, was that so important? Because I am breaking up here. Welcome to the Jax Jones and Martin Warner Show. Today's show is called Why is Chess Storming the World? Win at Chess and Life, Lessons from a Grandmaster. Our special guest, the great Maurice Ashley, Grandmaster and perhaps the greatest chess explainer in the world today. We're so happy to have him with us. He not only made history as the first African-American Grandmaster in the annals of the game, but he has managed to translate his love to others as a three-time national championship coach, author, ESPN commentator, iPhone app designer, puzzle inventor, and motivational speaker. In recognition of his immense contribution to the game, he was inducted into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame in 2016 and the Brooklyn Technical High School Hall of Fame in 2018. Hey, Jax, are you ready? Yeah. Let's do this. So, dude, we talked about this back in, what, about a year ago, almost, right? And then we started building on it over a cigar at the Lanesborough. <laughs> Sorry, you're putting me off now. <laughs> is, this, is this how it... <laughs> I can't take you seriously. You sound like a newsreader. You know we don't talk like that. Jack, aren't you? Uh, are you? Uh, are you really interested in doing this with me? Remember, it must have been about a year ago that we. Uh, it's like. Sat over it's the... like. What is this? The Reader's Digest. Look, I. Yeah, I tell you what. I am definitely excited to meet all these amazing people these high performers that we're in awe admiration of and i'm especially excited to do it with you my friends because i learn a lot from you and then to do it together look at that the bromance is strong it's, it's very strong it's very strong i think we're gonna have a ton of fun yeah and maurice ashley i think he's a, a cool cat right that he's smart he's achieved grandmaster status i'm interested in understanding just how we can relate chess to life and if it's instructive and we walk away feeling like we personally found it helpful, then I think we're going to have a great first podcast. For sure, man. If I can learn to first beat you in chess because you just destroyed yeah, yeah, me two weeks happen, ago. Dude. Very I mean, sad. Be honest. Look, I'm, I'm very sore, right? And you know I'm going to be bringing it up. <laughs> Number two, if I can learn a bit of patience and I can learn how to think a few more moves ahead, I, I, I've, this podcast is going to change my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. I can't wait. Yeah, let's do it, man. Maurice, come on! I heard someone say online that what's easier to become an NBA player or become a grandmaster? Interesting question because just the amount of effort that gets you just to get to chess master and then to an IM and then to a GM, my God. Like I'm not like I, I used to think I could do most things. But if I devoted my whole life to it, I don't know if I could do what Maurice did. And we did it at what, thirty three? Which I think is actually even harder because you get buried by family responsibilities and children and all these other things that are going on and life was tough and but then to carry on it's, it's not like you were just doing an MBA or even a or even a master's you were becoming a grandmaster that's it uh, you, know, you I would expect you to do it in your 20s these days they do it in their right? teens I know but, but that's te that's technology right that that's, that's technology that is technology yeah. but even even before people were doing it uh, late teenage years early 20s that's the time you can do it in your mid twenties. By the time you do have family responsibilities, like I did, I was married, had a child. It just gets tougher and tougher. That grind of having to make a living in a game at that time that did not have any real money in it. Only the right, very, right. very elite were making any dollars at this game. So you have to make it your passion. And so you're busy working on the side. I was teaching chess, coaching chess, 
I was also doing chess commentary. But to also combine all that with what is usually required, the single-minded focus of becoming a grandmaster is next to impossible. It just, it's just extraordinarily difficult. So for me to have taken it on at a late age of 33, which in, in chess is almost geriatric, uh, is yeah. what was was its own you know own bit of story in and of itself. Yeah. So if we can, let's move. Let's start the conversation because I think it will be lovely to learn a little more about your life. And I think there's some little things um, that would be useful to know. And that was, do you remember the first game of chess you had? Obviously, you were learning at that time. And who taught you? The first time I learned chess was in Jamaica, where I was born. Um, my brother played games with his friends. In fact, we're going way back. So we're going to the 70s. Uh, my brother and his friends would always get together and play all kinds of board games. In Jamaica, there was no television. And where there was television, it started at 6 p.m. And it started with the news. So kids had to play games. We just fell in love with playing games in order to pass the time. And chess happened to be one of them. And I remember figuring out the four-move checkmate. It's called the scholar's mate. I remember sure. figuring it out in Jamaica, just this way of bringing this bishop out, the queen out, and checkmate. And when I did it to an older boy, one of my brother's friends, he said, Maurice has found out a way to win the game in four moves. It was like I I'd, like, discovered Einstein's theory of relativity. I mean, it was like, what? How did he do that? And, and I'm surprised, actually, that I did figure it out without anybody telling me that it, it was possible. How many games do you think it took for you to get to, to figure that out? It didn't take long at all. I just I learned the pieces and then I just I just realized that it was possible and I did it. And that should have that would have been a sign. If someone were a serious chess teacher sitting around us at that time and they had seen me figure that out, it would have said, Okay, we gotta take this kid to the side and train him. But it wouldn't right. be for another five or six years when I had actually left Jamaica and gone to Brooklyn, New York, where I went to high school in Brooklyn Tech when I saw a boy, a, a fellow classmate playing chess. And I remembered, oh, I used to play this game in Jamaica. And wow. I thought I would trick him the way I had this four move checkmate, the scholars mate, I would be able to beat him. And he crushed me. It was not even close. He just destroyed me. Right. And then I was in a library, the school library, and I saw a book on chess. I didn't go looking for it. It just happened to be there. In many ways, I feel like chess found me. It was just kind of a strange thing but anyway i took i saw the book i opened it i went home studied the book went back to play my friend and he crushed me again turns out he had read that book and several other books and oh, wow. that was the beginning of a competitive rivalry and the love affair that became my whole life and this gets to the next question then 33 you make grandmaster okay we already know that that that's pretty damn tough to weigh yourself down and then achieve it at that age. But what was, I'm interested in what was the motivation behind just staying the course and doing it? Because you've now traveled a lot of years. Why did, what was going through your mind? Was it that I need to get a career still or I want to be in this space or I want to actually become the world champion? What was it that, that went through your mind to become a GM? When you're a talented chess player, I mean, there are those of us who are, who like get touched by it, right? It almost becomes an obsession. Sure. It's just the way it is. You are so in love with this thing. You guys know what that feels like. Something you're so passionate about, you think, I cannot wait to do this tomorrow morning. I'm sorry I have to go to sleep because 
I really would like to keep doing this. And when I wake up, I'm going to do it again tomorrow. That's how chess was for me. It, it, school became irrelevant. My mother kept looking at my grades like, what are you doing? Because all I was doing was studying chess every single day and playing as much as I could. So at some point, I wanted to become a grandmaster because you see the title in the books. You see the, the Russians who have the title and, and then you got to learn about Bobby Fischer and greats from the past. And you want that title. You want to be a grandmaster. You dream about maybe becoming world champion one day. Well, not all of us were going to become world champion, obviously. There's going to be one that's the elite of the elite. But to get that grandmaster title was always on my mind. And I felt like if I didn't do it, I would have failed at something fundamentally in my life. Maurice, can I ask you a question? For all the aspiring grandmasters out there, me now wanting to be a grandmaster as well, would you say the skills that you were learning on the chessboard did it echo in other academic subjects of the skills? Like, were there other signals or was it just chess? You know, were you really good at maths? Were you like good at art? Were, were, were there skills that you say link at the time that you saw as a kid in just other areas? Or was it just, you're just a natural chess prodigy? You know, I was always very good at math. I was always at the top of my class in math, as a matter of fact. I thought so. I had a mind for that kind of analytical thinking, calculative ability and problem solving. And I was a person who always loved puzzles, mind puzzles. You, you throw a puzzle at me and I'm gonna sit there for a while and think, how do I solve this? And that is the kind of mind that is a chess mind. And so yes, that was definitely there. And I would find oftentimes, I remember when I went to university that I'd be sitting in philosophy class and the professor would be talking about Kant and Hume and breaking down the whole process of mind Descartes uh, and I'd sit there the whole time. Everybody else was listening to a philosophy class and I'm hearing him speak chess. It's like, amazing. This is all chess, man. And I got better at chess sitting in philosophy class. I was getting free lessons and nobody uh -huh. would know. I'd walk out of the class. My mind would be blown about the uh, applicability of those philosophical principles to the chessboard. And that's when I really started feeling how it intertwined the cross section of chess philosophy, business, life, mathematics, you name it. It just it just became all one thing for me. Let's let's just expand on that for a minute. When when did you realize that beyond philosophy that you can help people by 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 using chess as a metaphor for how you can lead your life or operate your life? Like when did it really crystallize? I can do something. I can explain the benefits of the of something over the board that translates to our own life. You know, I can't speak to an individual moment, but I think what really the first thing that happened was I started coaching young kids at chess. And this happened at first in the Bronx and then mainly in Harlem, New York, and in Brooklyn. When I started coaching these kids who had a similar background to mine, coming out of the inner city, a uh, single parent out household, violence in the neighborhood, and I was able to speak to them using the medium of chess and give them core principles that they could use in their own lives and in school to better themselves. That's when I saw the real power, the impact of these chess principles. And what's great about that is now I look at those same kids, they're not kids anymore, they're like older than you, Jax, right? They're grown with, with children and they come back and they talk to me about how those ideas transform their lives. And I've, I've got hyper successful kids who went to top universities, 
coming again out of these impoverished backgrounds, ended up in top universities, just in wonderful fields as medical doctors, financial advisors and the like. And they say chess was so instrumental in changing my life. And I didn't even realize, some of them will say that, they didn't even realize how much it impacted their thinking today. And it's mm, only reflected right. as adults that they're able to say, wow, the, the sword that got sharpened on the chessboard ended up being the same critical thinking tools they use right now right. in their lives. Right. I can only imagine when you were younger going through this, whether it be at school and then becoming, I think, I know it depends on definition from what I've read, but the first African-American uh, chess player, right? Grandmaster, I should say, or maybe the first black grandmaster, which is even broader uh, in broader in context or, or more global in context. But what was it like being in a big tournament? As I'm imagining as a, a, a tournaments that you were in at that time were GM tournaments and you were the only African-American or were there others at this time by the time you got there because you were 33 um, and, and, and you know what was going through your mind did you feel you know, did you feel that you were at any kind of disadvantage because it, they, it wasn't recognized or did you feel that it was an e equal playing field or did you feel that no it was just about the talent and the thinking what was that the climate like for, for tournaments back then? Because what, you're for 54 now, it's 20, 21 years ago, right? 99, right? Well, the journey itself was fascinating because there were other African-Americans like growing up in the United States uh, and being a chess player in the United States, there were other African-Americans who aspired to the title, but they were scant, few, few and far between. The most prominent one was a gentleman by the name of Emery Tate. He has passed on now. And he was the top player before me. He was the Armed Forces champion. I think uh, five times Armed Forces champion. Uh, he was an extremely gifted player. You talk about a trash talker. Emery was loquacious. And, and he spoke daggers. I mean, daggers whenever he spoke. He, he, had a, he, was, he had quite the life, by the way, a little bit of a ladies' man, hard Ooh. drinker on, on one side as well. I was much more low-key than, than him. If he just had gotten the discipline together, he would have preceded me, I think, easily because he was so extraordinarily talented. But, you know, they also had Stephen Muhammad, who was another person who was going after it. But we get, get into that grandmaster title. First of all, you have to break the international master barrier, which I also did. I became a first uh, African-American to do that. But it was a challenge for us. You'd go to chess clubs early on and people thought we were hustlers. People didn't sure. take us seriously. Yeah. They, they, mm. looked, they looked at us as if we weren't really rigorous, analytical thinkers. We were there to try to win some money, take the money off of them. For me, that was that additional pressure. But when I started closing in on the title, the, the pressure that became very real was all the other African-Americans and Black people who would look at me and say, you got to do it for us. You got to do it for us. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to do this for me. Like, I don't need any other pressure. Of course, I'm desperate to become a grandmaster myself. But so many of them would say, it means so much. You got to do it for us. And that's some serious pressure. Man. I'm going to tell you straight up. That's real. Sure. Yeah. You can feel that as you're trying to improve right. and get to the title. And every time I failed, every time I fell short, it wasn't just me. I was disappointing. And I was well aware of that. Oh, wow. So tell us quickly about in in a quick summary of like what does it take like what's the process to become a gm like how would you quickly describe the points the fide ranking playing in fide rated tournaments just how would you say 
This is, if you're going to become a GM, this is how you do it. Well, the technical way of doing it is you have to get three norms, which means you play in three separate events. And in each individual event, you have to perform at an elite grandmaster level. And so you play against other grandmasters and internationally ranked players. And depending on their ranking, there's a formula that dictates you have to get X number of points. So if I, let's say, let's put it in, in, in terms that everybody might understand. Let's say I had to try to become an all-star basketball player. And you okay. said, all right, you're going to play nine games of one-on-one -on -one ball against LeBron James, James Harden, Steph Curry, you name it, the Greek freak, just all the, the right, true right. gangsters of the game. And that's the right. only way you're going to get into the all-star game. There's not going to be any fan voting going on. There's not going to be the coaches decide, oh, yeah, you go in and you don't. There's no popularity contest. You've got to play these nine killers one-on-one, -on -one, just throwing Westbrook. What score do you think this person should get in order to become a, an all-star? Well, if you play nine of these players one-on-one, -on -one, if you win five times out of nine, then you clearly belong in the group. If you win four out of nine, you clearly belong. Three out of nine, you're already like, this guy is pretty good. So there's a formula in chess that's very similar, depending on the level of opposition you play against. Now, if I went, a, if you were facing off tier down of opposition, wasn't the names I just mentioned, then you might have to get seven out of nine. You got to dominate this group. If it's just your average NBA players, you got to dominate those guys, seven out of nine, maybe even eight out of nine. And that's, that's the process we have to go through. When I hear about this and your comparisons to the NBA and what I hear is pressure and competition and you just can't imagine in a game like what you're playing, the amount reminds you of like boxing, right? You know, when uh, I always say that boxing out of all the sports that you watch is the most difficult, in my opinion, you're you're receiving physical pain and you've got all these people watching you, the lights flashing, and you're just in this ring, you're getting fatigued over time and you don't want to fail right the odds are stacked against you in some senses right and i feel like in your journey that was the case in some arenas where you were kind of the underdog if you agree how do you manage all of that what's your state of mind when you're sitting on that board do you see it as a battle do you see it as oh, this is what i do for fun i'm just gonna show my skills are you like how do you manage all that stress <laughs> that sounds like stress to me basically it is stress <laughs> yeah. it is absolutely stress it is absolutely pressure and it's funny because the, the players who become elite, they eat stress for breakfast. <laughs> for sure. For I, I, sure. I aspire to eat stress for breakfast. Absolutely. You embrace <laughs> stress. You want stress. If there's no stress, there's no reason to play the game. Man. I don't want to play a game where fair I just point. know I'm going to beat you. That's not interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to stack the odds against myself. You and I play jacks and you're a beginner at the game. You're a novice. I'm going to say, okay, here's what I got to do. I got to take almost all my pieces off the board and now let's play because i need a challenge i need to i'm gonna say i gotta make it interesting because you're just starting out now if you're at martin's level i might just take a couple of pieces off <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. get him maurice L long as that's the queen i'm all right yeah <laughs> maybe i'll take a few more off <laughs> that said you know i'm glad you brought up boxing because i come from a warrior family my oldest brother devon is a three-time world champion kickboxer. Crazy. My Whoa. baby sister, Alicia, is a six-time world champion boxer. Mm. 
In fact, she's in China right now. Uh, oh, head of the UFC in in uh, the city she's in. That's crazy. She's I think she's in Shanghai teaching boxing to uh, at a club there because that's because she's WBC champ. So we are all about what the warrior spirit, the one on one, the intellectual battle, keeping yeah. cool under pressure, embracing pressure and it is true. When you're playing a chess game, you know, you talk about boxing being the hardest sport. You're, the mistake you could make in boxing, let's say you make a big mistake. The mistake, you just expose your face. You get hit. You get knocked mm. down. Knockout punch. But if you make a smaller mistake, you might just get knocked down. You get back up. You mm. might get hurt, you know, a, a wicked punch, but you can shake it off. At the elite level, one mistake loses the game. One. We're mm. not talking about a situation like basketball where you might turn the ball over 15 times during the game. You can't do that in chess. I will mm. crush you. You make that number of mistakes. You ju I just need one mistake from you. That's serious. And I'm going to put you at the edge of a precipice the entire time. I might make a mistake in that conversion, but mm. you don't expect it. Grandmasters will hunt you down. Like you're a, the dog that the Fox are coming after. So right. you've got to be careful there. So the, the point the point, or maybe it's a flip, you know, the fox that the dogs are going after. The, the flip is pressure is for us why we play. It's why we play. We love that feeling. The key to remember, though, is this. You cannot perform better under pressure than you do under normal circumstances. Now, that's counterintuitive. Most people disagree. People will say, well, there are people who rise to the occasion, you know, like Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi went, okay, you got a big situation. He's going to deliver right at that moment. You take a guy like LeBron James, the bigger mm. the occasion, the more likely to perform well. But studies have right. shown that actually the difference between the elite performers and the average amazing professionals is that the elite performance performers simply don't crack under pressure. Yeah. They do what they do like a normal walk in the park. This is what I mm. do. So everybody's running away from the ball. Oh no, it's a pressure moment. They say, well, it's, it's just a game. I'm, it's mm. the same situation. It's like, I'm in the gym practicing. Just give me the ball. I'm going to take the shot. Like I've done a thousand times before. And that's the secret. You cannot be better than yourself. Just be yourself. So you find yourself in a pressure situation. You don't need to pump yourself up. Okay. Now I really need to get it done. Just do what you do. And that's the secret to handling pressure. I believe that because ultimately when you walk into the ring, when you walk into that, in front of those 64 squares, you are what you are. There's no additional thing you can do. So at that point you execute. But then is it about preparedness? Is that what you're doing? Is that what separates you from the professional player to be an elite? Or is that last bit just God-given extra bit well i think that everyone brings their own unique dna imprint to a competitive setting and mm. when you have doubts it's because of something that happened to you before that caused you to be doubtful right now so you sure. do have to mm. dig deep you do have to prepare you do have to take away eliminate those weaknesses in your soul in yourself in your psyche so that when the time comes that doesn't, that doesn't call to you. That doesn't make you start to shake. You know, we, we see that happen. Trust me, 
And you know you've got them when they're in that state. So to stay cool requires that intense preparation beforehand so that you can be yourself when the setting arises. Now, everybody does it differently. People prepare mm. different ways for that. For me, I think growing up in Jamaica, the kind of crazy life we grew up in, the violent setting, you know, people think mm -hmm. of Jamaica like it's reggae sunsplash and, and, and smoking reefer the whole it's time. It's a dangerous place to grow up, man. You know, when, yeah. you, grow, when you grow up in the hardcore Kingston, mm. like, it, ghetto, it's, it's a whole different ball of wax. It's about survival and then trying mm -hmm. to thrive. And then growing up in Brooklyn, Brownsville, Brooklyn, Mike Tyson was from Brownsville. Yeah, it says it all. Says it all. The kind of intellectual gangsters, physical yeah. gangsters that come out of Brownsville. I say Brownsville was so tough, Mike had to get out of Brownsville. So imagine oh. what, what it was like. That? It's like I, I really, I really, I really gotta go. You know, we say, we also have a saying in Brownsville. <laughs> well, you in Brownsville never ran, never will. Okay, mm -hmm. that's the attitude you bring, and we got the same thing in Bedford Stuyvesant, do or die, bed stye. Brooklyn had that kind of flavor to it. So we grew up with the pressure of survival by itself. So when you got to the chessboard in international competitions, this was lightweight to me. This was nothing. I just had to focus on the board. I'm not ducking bullets. Sure. Yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah. Trying yeah. to handle these pieces in front of me. So I think we're re reaching the first kind of main conclusion point. And we're talking a lot about, uh, you know, preparedness and, and, and what how brutal the game can be in terms of your, your mental approach to the game, the stress. The question is, when I think about the things I've learned, it to me is you can you can practice pressure management or stress management. One is through knowledge, two is by traveling the same journey, mm. and three is knowing you've got a solution. Right? I mean, it sounds obvious, but those happen. Do you think you can teach pressure management at the, at the highest levels of chess, like a you know at the world championship, because the stakes keep growing? Right? You got a young kid you know, playing Magnus or whatever. And he's thinking to himself, What's I, Magnus? I got another Magnus Carlsen's the <laughs> oh, world champion, easy. right? Yeah, shame on you, my friend. All right. Yeah, Magnus Carlsen. You know. Jack, don't let Martin diss you for not knowing Magnus Carlsen. You know, he likes to toss around his knowledge. I only care about Maurice Ashley right now. That other people don't. Seriously, <laughs> come on now. Leave the young man alone, Martin. <laughs> uh, I didn't want him to. I didn't want him to insult you, right? You're a GM, and you're that. Like, he's not insulting me at all. I mean, I'm just trying fucking to fucking know the, who the, the world champion is, and he's going to be a student. I'm looking forward to one day Jack's beating you terribly at the board. Oh, I beat him once. We were listen. We were playing on chess.com, and he was, you know, he he was playing like a learner game, right? So he was moving pieces and allowing me to show and explaining things to me. And then last game, I got a discovered checkmate. Check the keyword, discovered, checkmate. He didn't see it. Wow. Uh, the records are there. I'll send you the screenshot. Is this a real well, story? It's a uh, real story. Uh, this uh, isn't no chess piece buried in the garden story. No. This is a real story. Well, I mean, I would, I would say that, um, you know, I'm trying to arrive at a point where my good friend can win for the night. Right? Because, it, uh, you know, just in the spirit for of- For the night. To end. It's like an leaving um, drink. You know, I mean- I don't know if I didn't see it versus I was trying to get it to happen, but it was beautiful. The d discovered check was beautiful Listen. for him. So here's the thing, though. He's got some kids coming up that are 16, 18, 19, mm. and they're incredible. You know, uh, maybe will become better technical players. The stress on him with, what, 15 years more experience, 
And he's at his prime, but he's now starting to get old, right? I mean, he's at this point where how long like can he hold on? Only 30 years old, so old is a, is a tough one. He's still got a few years to go as, yeah. as a phase of that elite level. And Magnus is the best player in the world. I, I want to ask you, Maurice, as someone who's done a few things, I feel like I've, I've achieved a lot. When I played chess, it was the first time in my adult life I'd experienced a crushing defeat. And it was humbling. And it was like, I had to check myself. It wasn't It wasn't an emotion I'd felt in a long time. You know, like, if you fail your driver's test, right? And you're like, oh, man, I felt, I, oh. I remember, I think I did first year economics at uni, and I think I failed that. Only two things I've ever failed. And then to just get smashed by Martin so hard. It's even worse. Yeah. Because it's Martin. You know, because it's Martin. Oh, oh we're ganging up uh, yeah. now? What, what, what I, no, is this? No, the brothers? I, I mean, Jesus. No, and as you said, and I, one thing I noticed, obviously, uh, when you play people and they can often see your mistakes occurring and you you know you're going to take advantage. But when that happens to you, has that hap- ever happened to you? And where do, where do you draw from for like your mental resilience? Because I had to go to, a, I had to do like 10 press-ups. I had to go and eat some <laughs> Snickers and get <laughs> myself over that. What's your, what were, how, when it has, if it has happened to you, how have you bounced back? I feel your pain. <laughs> I feel your pain. As you're describing it, I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes and, you know, the, the moments when that has happened to me, the big, big moments. And I'm going to, I didn't answer Martin's question about pressure, so I'm going to put those two together. Wonderful. Yep. yep. And Martin's question about pressure. When I was trying to get the Grandmaster title, I played against a a grandmaster from Germany. His name is Michael Betzold. And we were playing this incredible game, incredible game. And I played a shot on him that was so beautiful. And then I hit him with another blow. And then I had a choice between two moves. And one of the moves was greedy. I grab a rook. It's in my hand. I got it. It's just, ooh, you're fat rook. You can't, you know, it's just tantalizing. It's like, it's like chocolate. You just can't resist. But the other move was just to take a little pawn. Yeah. And by taking the pawn, I left the rook sitting. I would leave the rook sitting there. There's another rook I was after, but I would stabilize the position and create all kinds of attacking trajectories. Right. I'm looking at this position and I had to make a choice. And I ended up going for the greedy choice. I took the rook and it was a trap. And he proceeded to whoop me like a stepchild. It was just nasty what happened to me after that. If I had won that game, I would have gotten the grandmaster title. I failed and threw away the title in one injudicious moment. It was about pressure and cracking under the pressure. After the game, another grandmaster, Alexander Shabalov, who had seen the correct move, he said to me, listen, you're gonna get there, but this is important for you to remember. In order to become a grandmaster, you must first be a grandmaster. Okay. Those are the wisest, some of the Mm. wisest words I ever heard. In order to become a grandmaster, you must first be a grandmaster. What does that entail? Yeah. His point is, his point was this. And I mean, Mm. that just illuminated so much for me because what he was saying was it's, you know, you're trying to pass your driver's test. Mm -hmm. In order to pass your driver's test, you must first know how to drive. Mm -hmm. It's not about the test. For sure. We're not testing the, it's not, we're not testing you. And then magically you learn how to drive in the mm-hmm. middle of the test, that would be a bad deal, right? We're putting mm-hmm. people on the road who don't drive. You should know how to drive before you take this test. So it's a state of preparedness that mm-hmm. tells you, you know, when the moment comes, I will be ready. 
-hmm. When the moment comes, I will be ready. And part of that is if you do fail, like when I finally got my Grandmaster title, the second game I played out of the nine, I lost. And it was on my birthday. Okay, ah. that's right. Happy birthday, Maurice. You just yeah, yeah. got checkmated. <laughs> I bet you thought you were going to have a good day as well. You're like, yeah, today is going to be a good day. <laughs> I was yeah. devastated on that day. Like, damn, my birthday and I got beat up on, while I'm yeah. trying to get this title. But the resilience, the self-belief to come back from that loss and then proceed mm -hmm. to win a number of games in a row against mm -hmm. elite competition is what allowed me to get the title because I bounced back and did get the title in that tournament. It's about previous success as well. You know that you have been successful in your life. You know mm -hmm. you'll get to take another driver's test. You know you're a sure, smart guy. Sure. You're going to have another chance. So for me and for us, we get used to losing. Mm -hmm. As chess players, we get used to losing. I've right. lost so many games in chess, it's not funny. I lose constantly against elite players when we go back and forth, particularly in blitz. You lose mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. That's mm. not the mark of a champion. The mark yeah. of the champion is how you react to a loss. Mm. And that's what we try to teach kids from a very early age when we teach them chess. How do you react from a loss? Because you're going to lose. You're going to get better and then lose smarter. But you're going to lose. You're going to yeah. lose. Yeah, you're going to not make sure. big mistakes. You're going to make smaller mistakes. But you're going to lose along for the sure. path to greatness. A number of losses for you to learn yeah. from. And that's yeah, the chess life. Let's do this. Let's talk more about you know, how to um, affect your life by having some knowledge of chess, whether it's you know, at a distance or whether it's employing a particular strategy or practice in chess. And it may get you to reframe or think about your actions in mm -hmm. life. So uh, I've got, I've read a lot about this. You are a master at it in terms of chess explanation. So I, I'm looking to boil down some things for the audience where they, it's not just terminology like stalemate, something simple. You know, what are the things that, that chess can teach us? Like, as a great one. Um, let's talk about the opening. What does having prepared openings, life favors the prepared, what does openings teach us uh, uh, you know, as it relates to life, as a metaphor, as a particular practice? Sure, absolutely. And I'll take that one on. I'm going to go deeper than the opening preparedness. Yeah. Everybody knows preparation is necessary, right? Everybody knows. Right. Uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. I mean, that's mm. just famous John Wooden quote. It's just the way life is. If you're not going to prepare, you don't just jump in, in with the sharks and try to learn how to swim. Then that's not going to sure. happen. Grandmasters at the highest level are not only about preparing set sequences. Oh, you got all these moves memorized up to move 10, 15. It's all prepared. Yeah, a lot of times it is. But the real players show up at the point when their preparation ends. Yep. And that means somebody does something you've never seen before. Surprise. Uh -huh. yeah. And this is now when all your preparation goes out the window and now you still have to perform. And what are the principles that you have prepared in advance to be able to handle a situation that you are not prepared to deal with? Can you sum up the principles at that point? So at this point, at this point, it's first of all, the idea of, not being surprised. Be prepared to be surprised. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's great. You feel me? Yeah. That's core. That's core. You cannot map out this game. The first In the first four moves of chess, there are three billion possibilities. You're not capable of mapping all that out. The human mind 
is not, that's not what we do. We just, we're not computers. So mm. sooner or later, a surprise move is going to come. And because you know a surprise move is going to come, something's going to be different from what you have mapped. Then it is important that you cultivate the frame of mind of being prepared to be surprised. Mm. So that when it comes, what will you do? You'll laugh or you'll be intrigued. But that's the key word here is you're intrigued. You're not scared. You're not running like away. It. You're curious. Yeah. You see the great players when the when the key move happened, they go, I've never Ooh. seen that before. This is fascinating. Hold on a second. <laughs> but let me get deep. And that's when they get mm. deep. That's when they know all the skills that they have cultivated over years and years will be needed to deal with what this player who is dropped on you. And they might have actually prepared this one move in their own laboratory at home for years to, get you. to drop yeah. just on your unsuspecting self as you just walked into it. Wow. But you've got to have the mindset that, yes, I will be surprised. It will happen at some point. Now, how do I handle it? And to handle that situation, once you have that mindset, once you come in with that mindset, then you're going to cultivate things about equanimity, discipline, Sure. serenity breathing techniques to be able to say you know what let me just chill let me just chill it's not the end of the world if it were the end of the world my preparation probably would have shown it especially now that we have computers that can break a lot of it down i said i probably would have seen this move let me just settle down and figure this out and to me that's where the real super grandmasters are in their confidence that surprise will not derail them. Something they didn't expect will not derail them. And in chess, you cannot BS your way out of the problem, all right? There's a famous oh. quote in chess, lies and hypocrisy don't last long on the chessboard. Your ass will get checkmated. <laughs> that wasn't part of the quote, that second part. I just said that, made, added that on. <laughs> that was the Brooklyn edit. But lies and hypocrisy don't last long on the chessboard. So you've got to actually come with it when the surprise actually hits, boom, mm. whoa, what just happened? It, it, you, you have been served right now, time to rise to the occasion. And I think that that's that kind of mental training. I've studied all kinds of texts outside of chess to prepare me for the world competitive cutthroat world of chess. And I think that's something we should, we should note. A lot of people don't talk about that because they want me to give solely insights from chess. But what makes you a chess grandmaster is not only that you play chess, is that you study psychology, is that you study martial arts, is that you study elite performers, and you cultivate, cull the techniques from those disciplines in order to bring it back to the chessboard. And only right. because you're interested in whooping somebody on the board. So mm. you bring other disciplines. And I will say that that is one of the key techniques to success at whatever you're doing inside of your discipline is to make sure you steal from other elite performers. Yeah. Wait, I mean, it sounds like you're working as an athlete. As we talked previously about boxing, athletes go through psychology training, whether it's envisioning the win or dealing with pressure or uh, making better decisions. And I just want to go back to something you said where you said you were breathing and you know, you're open. If I'm being honest with you, that sounds a lot like meditation. Being present, not looking too far ahead, right. not looking at the past choices you made. You're looking at what's right in front of you happening right 
now. And, you know, that helps you become a better manager. That helps you become a better husband, wife, brother, uh, sister. Though Those, uh, and dealing with your daily life, if you can stay in that moment and take a breath and just deal with it with curiosity, like, ah, cool. That's right. I love that. Being present to the moment is absolutely mm. essential yeah. as well. You know, one of the biggest things that helped me, catapulted me to the Grandmaster title was when I realized that there was this core principle about chess I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And it was that I was too aggressive on the chessboard. That's okay. My okay. aggression was being used against me constantly by the elite players. When I was doing that coming up, growing up in Brooklyn, it was fine. Yeah, when I got yeah, to yeah. that elite level, the rarefied air of the Grandmasters, they were taking me down when I was being too aggressive, coming at them mm. too quickly, finding the holes in my miss in my moves. But what that led me to was another realization about a connection, a discipline in martial arts called Tai Chi. Mm. And then from okay. Tai Chi, I went to Aikido. And Aikido, that is all about taking advantage of the opponent's energy. There are no aggressive mm. moves in Aikido at all. It's all about blending mm. with that energy, taking advantage of that energy to cause them to spiral and fall to the floor. I started studying Aikido just before I became a grandmaster. I started studying it shortly after, by the way, the time when Shabalov told me in order to become a grandmaster, you must first be a grandmaster. And part of the Aikido discipline is meditation as well. It's peace inside of the storm. Mm. Because if somebody's coming at you they're punching with all their might, the harm that they could do to you physically. It, it breeds fear, man. You don't want to get hit in the face. I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. you're going to react. You're going to tense up. You're going to tighten. And to be at peace with the fact that this punch that they're coming at you with all their might is actually the energy you need, you mm. want in order for you to put them on the floor. Not any of your force, not any of your energy. It's their energy coming at you the harder they come, the harder they fall. That kind of presence requires an incredible equanimity, peace of mind, that you can stay present to the moment and show no fear at the arrows coming at you. And so, yes, things like meditation, breathing, critically important, staying present to the moment. We've compared chess to boxing. We've compared chess to martial arts. Why isn't chess in the Olympics, man? Uh, it probably will end up, chess will probably end up in the Olympics at some point because people realize how intense and competitive it is. And actually, we have a chess Olympiad. Mm -hmm. you, you do? I didn't know that. For decades, in mm -hmm. fact. The current champion is China. Before that was the U.S. Before that was China again. Uh, the Russians used to dominate. So we do have a chess Olympiad. But I think that most people look at chess and they don't see the the intensity of it, particularly the physical intensity. The fact that you have to be in shape to play is something people don't understand. If you look at the elite players in chess right now, almost none of them have extra body fat on them. No. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah, Magnus yeah. Carlsen, Fabiano Caruana, uh, Maxime Vachilagrav, Anish Giri, they're all fit. You lose so much weight, pounds, really, when you're playing chess. The intensity wow. of the phys they've done studies on the amount of calories that you burn when you're playing chess. And yeah. so people don't, it, it's intuitively 
you know, it, it's counterintuitive. I, I think there's a, a just for distinction. I think the controversy over and it's been going on for for years. This Olympics question, like you said, you have an Olympiad, right? It's it, it. We have countries entering it. It's just a distinction that it doesn't get appraised and it's not included in the four year Olympics, which is which is which is the bit yeah. that, which is the bit that feels wrong because the mental fatigue translates to the physical fatigue and it's just as difficult, if not more difficult, mentally to endure a series of games than it is to run the 100 metres. There's just as much preparation. I mean, I'd rather watch chess than archery. (laughs) I'm just being real. Like, archery? Who's doing archery, bro? That's reserved for stag dudes and, and, you know, lads night out. (laughs) I don't diss specialists. I'm I'm just saying I don't diss specialists because they need to prepare as well. Absolutely. I don't want to get Absolutely. archered, by the way, because no, I don't want to get shot or nothing, right? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, it, it takes, uh, archery is hard. I mean, it really I mean, is yeah. incredibly hard as well. So I don't, I don't yeah. do specialists, but yeah, chess, chess has an intensity and a drama, a compelling storyline that is hard to tease out when you don't know how to play. Mm. But when you do know how to play and you get commentators like I'm a commentator, so I describe to you exactly what the psychological challenge is in a moment, the tension that a player is feeling if, when a mistake's made, the pain that they're hiding at the moment when they realize that they're in trouble and will have to suffer if they're mm. ever going to try to make a comeback in that individual game. There is a something torturous about the chess experience, and people love to hear about it. They <laughs> love to hear about it. But if you don't know how to play chess, then I can understand it looks like paint drying, right? Because people are sitting there for a long time and playing. What's happening now, though, is a lot of chess tournaments, because of this pandemic, they've gone online Mm. and they're playing blitz and rapid chess, where Mm -hmm. games end in an hour, 30 minutes, sometimes even only 10 minutes. And that's a different kind of frenetic pace that people are not used to when they watch chess. And that's much more like boxing. So mm. we're we're bringing that element now to the broader audience and seeing the fan base for chess just multiply. And uh, obviously, you mentioned the Queen's Gambit. I'm sure that's going to have an impact. It's had an impact. Yeah, we're, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The top, the top chess sites have seen tripling of their membership. I mean, tripling. Like mm. you, you would you think it's extraordinary the amount of money that's suddenly coming into chess. People are watching chess on Twitch as streamers on Twitch. I'm streaming on Twitch now myself. I got to get into the game because it it just so much interest has been cultivated from the Queen's Gambit that everybody wants to hear somebody explain chess to them in a way that they will have fun to listen to. I think what made the Queen's Gambit so magical, which I think leads us well onto the next topic, is you had this parallel between her coming of age story and then the game she was playing on the chessboard and as you said previously uh how you were playing aggressive which i would take that as your upbringing and where you grew up you had that style that flair and um i just think that's what i found so fascinating when i was playing with martin is when i was backed against as a beginner my raw personality came out which I'm from South London. It's not Brooklyn, but it's, again, a hard environment to grow up in. And I started getting aggressive. I wanted to take, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get angry. 
and the only thing I could do was move this chess piece as aggressively as possible and hope that it checkmates him. Obviously, it didn't. And, um, well, it did on the last game. I would love to explore, like, where else you see those parallels where Martin was leading with that question. Let's talk about the character, character traits in life. And I'll give you an example of something where I saw it in you. Uh, the Queen's Gambit talks about it. She plays angry at a part yeah, yeah. in the book and in the film. You told me about the book, Maurice, and, you know, they said yeah, she gets too angry and then she, she, you know, that's when she's exposed, right? Mm. So the interesting thing, Jonathan Rossum, the book you recommended to me, Maurice, is that, you know, he talks about the fact that you can see the pain. Magnus refers to it many times. He gets annoyed and frustrated when a player decides to play a move and take something gratuitously early and says that, that there's no need for that violence. And I can see he means it within the context of the game. But like, is that really? You're doing this to me? That's, that's just, it's an unnecessary way to think. Either it's too dull or it's going to create complexity he doesn't want to deal with in the game. But there's all these emotions that are bubbling up. And I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but for me, I see the output as a trait. Chess teaches me compassion. Chess teaches me the right moments to be empathetic. It tells me if I've got an anger management problem. <laughs> well, first, I'd like to say this. Chess amplifies whatever tendencies you have. Yeah. It amplifies and exposes your general tendencies. So a lot of times you can see a person's personality very clearly in the way they play chess. It will just come out. And when you talk, Jax, about those moments when you feel your back is up against the wall and your reaction is to be aggressive in response. That's you, right? That's mm. your personality, maybe your background. There are other people when someone gets aggressive, they go into a shell. They feel they need to defend. They need to protect. That's their best way of dealing with the situation. And so an important thing to recognize when you're playing is that the game is revealing to you some truths about yourself that you can then discuss with your partner afterwards or meditate about on your own. Wow, Why yeah. did I respond that way? What in me caused me to react to this situation the way I did? And if I made a mistake, what about me contributed to that mistake being made? So it's, it's so beautiful that chess Someone described it as almost like a Ouija board, you know, showing you things about yourself as you play. And you want to actively take away those ideas, those moments when they happen so that you can grow from them. You have to, mm. you have to literally be immersed in your own self-growth, not just, right. oh, I'm playing this game and I'm trying to win. But what am I revealing about myself to myself when I play this game? And I think that that's something that is much trickier to do in real life. Uh, normally, normally, we learn the most about ourselves when another person tells us. You know, your significant other says, you know what you always do. Oh, really? <laughs> right? And you and, and maybe you do, maybe somebody else told you that. So you go, oh, put two and two together. I just found out something about myself that I might not like, or may not have seen unless somebody else told me. So the chessboard tends to do that. It, it, as, as the way you think, the way you approach the game, the kinds of reactions you have when under pressure, 
the mistakes you make and how you react to those mistakes, those traits are revealed to you, exposed to you. And you want that, right? Because we want to grow as people. We want to grow. So, so please show me where I can learn, where I can get better, where I can grow. Are all the other grandmasters like that? I believe so. I believe that you become a grandmaster because you're about that. You're about yeah. finding truth as to what you do wrong. Because the thing is, those qualities about yourself that are imperfect or that contribute mm-hmm. to failure, they'll expose you on the chessboard and make you make bad moves. Mm-hmm. And so be- getting better moves, becoming a better player, so to speak, more knowledgeable, uh, getting better openings, it's not going to help you. I mean, it will help to, to improve your potential results, but only if these other qualities that drag you down mm. are managed, if mm. not eliminated, at least managed. So you have to know that about yourself. You have to be able to look back and go, yeah, man, every single time this situation happens, I do the same nonsense. Mm. I've got to change that. Wow. And so that self-reflectiveness is part of our process. Wow. And it's something that we should do in life, but a lot of people don't do. A lot of people look at the result and try to fix the result and not realizing that how much they're contributing to that result in the first place. I've got an idea for you, Maurice, and I'm your greatest investment partner for this. (laughs) Not that we need more shit to do in our life, but I wish the chess computer will say, look, you're revealing this thing. Look it up. Here's a way to get rid of it. Right. (laughs) Give me the calculation, right? I'll look at the notation so I know where went wrong. Right, I'm going to step back three steps. I've now got a different solution to that frustration or that mistake. Warren, that's what they pay me the big bucks for. <laughs> I, know. I thought you were looking for your... He's uh, doing it analog. That's what Maurice is doing. No, right? but I thought you were talking about you want the chess computer to be your uh, your mentor, right? It's like, Martin, do much aggression. Reflect. I, I, I want, I want, Go backwards. I, I, yeah. I, I'm a methodology guy. Everyone knows it, right? I want, I want the science in steps. You fucked up here. Step back three steps and stop making the same mistake. Right. That, can, that, can we linger on steps for a sec? Yeah. Because here's the magic question. When you think, I remember when I was playing Martin, when I had my crushing, I'll keep alluding back to this because obviously the more I joke about it, the easier it's going to become. But he talked about, he's like, dude, I know what kind of player you are. You're going to be like a two moves ahead kind of guy. I'm already at five moves ahead. And it took me years to get to that. How do I think more moves ahead? And how do I do that? Outside the chessboard. Uh, a gentleman by the name of DeGroote, psychologist, did a study of top chess players. Grandmasters versus what we're called experts. Experts are, it's, it's an actual title. It's not just a generic description. It's not like all the grandmasters are experts. No, if you call me an expert, it would be an insult because I've already passed that level. So it's expert, master, international master, grandmaster, right? So mm-hmm. they got a bunch of grandmasters together and they got, a bunch of experts together and they had them look at the same position and they said, what do, what do you see when you look at this position? And the experts described their thoughts and the grandmasters described their thoughts. And what they found is that the experts looked at more possibilities than the grandmasters. That's interesting. I wasn't expecting that. You were, right. Yeah. Fascinating. Right. What? Yes. But what, the grandmaster would say is you're looking at possibilities that are not relevant to the situation. 
Oh. You're looking at too much. You're overcomplicating it. So why your head is is spinning and, and exploding, Martin, is because you're looking at too much stuff and not getting at the core of the situation. So what a grandmaster is able to do is get to the heart of it and therefore only look at a limited number of moves because only these moves matter. And you're saying to me, Maurice, no, grandmasters boil it down to the essential. What is right now the right path? So they get through an opening, 15 moves or whatever. They get king safety or whatever. And then boom, they're into a themes. But it's about one thing. They're in an end game and they're maybe looking at two or three things or maybe one thing. For me, I think that doesn't that ultimately change because of the algorithm we think of the 64 squares one move presents sometimes you know i'm not talking about pins or skewers or whatever it, it can present two or three completely different scenarios you have to look at them all because they're because they're, they're threats they're checks or they're captures when they're threats they get they get let complicated say, let me say this so the worst thing for me to be a, as a thinker at the board is when there are too many possibilities to look at. Right. 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 The best situation is when it's just a core idea that presents itself. Yes. And that's what I'm building on. It doesn't mean, yeah. by the way, that that core idea doesn't sprout multiple options. Mm -hmm. But if I have the core right. idea, what I'm really after is control of a weak square. What I'm really after is trying to bottle up your queen. What I'm really after is I'm trying to exploit a misplaced knight on the side. What I'm really after is your exposed king. If I could just get to a core idea, then the possibilities I'm looking at will be limited because it's ah. only based on that central idea. Yes. It's when yes, I'm yeah. thinking, well, maybe I should go after his weak pawn or the weak square or the king or the knight or the queen. Let me look at all of them. Yeah. Now oh, my yeah. mind is going, oh my God, this yeah. is too much. Oh. I, so I have to yeah. get to the essential and I want to okay. get to the simplest idea possible. Now, if there are such things as threats, concrete threats, concrete captures that present themselves, then I do have to look at right, situations now we're that might be dangerous. Now we're talking about the same thing. That I've got to calculate. That I've got okay. to work out the math. Right, right. Right? And that and that's on that's something I can't avoid. But yes. most situations, I mean, most situations would be a combination of ideas and threats. Mm -hmm. So threats will just be I'm trying to take your piece, man. I'm your knight is sitting right there and I'm trying to take you. Sure. You got to do something about it. That's a threat. I, you you want to take my knight? You can't just have my knight. That's that's not cool. My knight's important to me. So I have to deal with a threat. Right. Then I right. have to look and calculate what's the best way to deal with the threat. But a lot of chess is not about the attack on the knight. It's about what ought I to be doing overall? You know, the overall just yeah. thought. What's the situation? Mm. What should I be doing? Should I be thinking about checkmating your king? If I'm thinking about checkmating your king, hey, you, you just attacked my knight, but I'm trying to blow your king's head off. You can have my knight. I'm not yeah. even gonna calculate any variation that defends my knight because the position is saying blow up this guy's king and he's busy chasing down a, a lower soldier yeah. that will channel my thoughts in a different direction so for me i want to know the essence of the situation and i think that that is something that sometimes when you get into discussions arguments with with folks in life they haven't figured out well, what's the core idea here What's the core I, I, idea? You are the same. You, I mean, I know you guys are the same because you're businessmen. 
people will, will bring up some tangential BS that just, that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about. Let's get back to the essence of the story. And right. if you're not distracted hmm. by what looks like something that that is real, but is that you, you're really focused on the true essential in a moment, then that's when you're at the highest level of performance. So I want to boil this down for the audience because you mentioned something else here. And I think I can bring clarity to a representation I made, and that's that in chess, you may be forced to look at different options, maybe from attack or, uh, or, or sorry, threat of a capture or a check or, or, or another potential threat or a line, the, a particular line of moves that the opposition is playing. But as what you've gone on to say is if at the top of the pyramid is the boiling down of all of that to the centralization of an idea, a single truth, something that you're in pursuit of, whatever the root cause is, a weak square, it doesn't matter, you're an isolated uh, king or a, a weak knight, whatever it is, it's the pursuit of an idea. And this is not a business lesson, but, but I think this applies in life and in business. When we, so whether you're fundraising or you're launching a product to market, in the end, the reason products sometimes win is time mm. to market. It's a battle of that centralization of an idea and the timing and the messaging to get to market. So VHS and Betamax, a better product, VHS had already had footprint. You think about fundraising, we can talk about all the great things the team has, but we miss the idea behind the market. If it's funded in the right way, we can get to market. But we still have to do the option analysis. We have to look at the choices because we could see threats. Those could be competitors. Mm. They can be a lot of things. And in chess, that's when I talk to you, I think of, oh, you did that to me. I got, I've got to deal with that before I get back to my idea. But you're saying, you're saying it's both. You need the you know, idea. If you were to sum up, Maurice, five or 10, it's not a particular list. What do you think the best lessons chess can teach you about life my number one that i could go on at length is that the other person's opinion is probably more important than yours oh yeah okay i like it we know our own ideas we know our own opinions we we hear them all the time in our heads we know that but if we can respect really hear the other person, really hear them, really know where they're coming from. There's magic there because yeah. if they also feel really heard, mm. then they're more likely to agree with you or to follow a path with you, follow you anywhere you wanna go. So it's extremely important to listen carefully. Now you say, well, how is that a chess trait? When I play chess, if you make a move, I have to deeply understand why that move was played. Yep. It's not about, ooh, I got this great move I want to kill this guy with. Yeah, this. No, it's why that move? Why did you do that? All the reasons. I don't want to know just part of the reason because the, the part I don't know is one that's going to get me killed. Yep. I need to know all the reasons why. I need to know your fundamental motivation for every single move you make. Mm -hmm. So to me, the other person's viewpoint being at least as important and likely more important than mine in a given setting is the greatest lesson chess can teach. There are other lessons, of course, patience as a weapon, not just as a virtue, but as a weapon. Because the person who blinks first, hmm. and it happens, great place it happens in negotiation. 
Yeah. You just you just want to get to the end. So you quickly say the number so that you just get settled on the number instead of being willing to sit back, knowing that they want something too. And just being patient, maintaining that tension, as we call it. Friction. And just being just being okay with that. Yeah. It's not a problem. I'm okay with this this setting and and the tension and the stress of the moment and let the other person crack first. Uh, stress is a teacher. Pressure is a good thing. Actually, I believe you should train for pressure by putting yourself in pressure-filled situations. And in fact, where there is no pressure, just throw a little bit in there to make it interesting. <laughs> How do you do that? You just do it. You just do it. You know what I mean? You handicap yourself. Yeah. If something too easy, it's mm. not worth doing. You've well, got to handicap yourself. Limited time, all sorts. Very cool. But by the yeah. way, Maurice, when time we play... Time is a variable as well. Maurice, yeah. when we play, uh, I'd like you to play blindfolded. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> right. I'll play as well. You'll beat me in five moves. You, it won't be a scholar's mate, but you'll beat it me won't in five be, moves. It won't be five moves, I'm sure. But, but you know, blindfolded is not enough of a handicap, Mark. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right you're at, so you're at three give me a couple more gems right patience i get it understanding their opinion for sure um you know understanding stress and and you know it's okay embracing stress embracing stress by by, by practicing stress. on the board uh use your opponent's energy against them okay mm. okay this is this business of knowing exactly when to be aggressive Mm-hmm. but also knowing when aggressive when aggression fails and when you can use the other person's energy because mm-hmm. because you can feed off it yeah because you can feed off that moment yeah uh very difficult to do very yeah. difficult one of the highest arts is to completely get inside your opponent's head that way and see where their energy is mm-hmm. and then use it as a way of producing yeah. that's the aikido principle yeah, it's cool, man. I fear that for a lot of people, mm. um, that's at the top of Maslow's hierarchy. That's a tough thing. Like it, it's well, one it of the end, end, end goals of, of the game. It sounds like you have to detach from yourself. You have to be fluid. You have to be dynamic. You have to be... It's just so many things is like removing ego, all sorts of things. Right. To allow right. yourself to do that. I think that's why it's difficult because... Yeah people i know myself even as you know where i say i was playing martin and my my base level reaction was aggression you you view things from your these eyes and you look out and everything's like but to do what you're saying you need to just be around all around just like seeing it i'm very relaxed and now that you got me going i'm gonna give you another one and this is huge learn to embrace failure mm-hmm. we've talked about this for sure yeah for sure learn to embrace yeah. failure the moment I fail in a chess game, it is a moment of illumination. I want that. I don't yeah. not want that. I want that. Because if I win the game because I do everything right, I didn't learn anything. Mm. I just showed what I could do. That's a good feeling. I trained for it. It happened. But the flip side, when I do something wrong, it's a moment of my own self-reflection that says, wait a second, what didn't I understand? And if I understand that, you know I'm going to be more dangerous. 
<laughs> you yeah. don't want me to understand why I do things wrong. You don't want me to do that because once I fix that, you're going up against an even more elite grandmaster, right? You want me to swallow in defeat. You want me to cry about it, be upset about it, insist I'm going to beat you next time. You don't want me sitting there going, okay, I see where my mistake was. I, I learned something today. I'm going to be better for it. So you should be happy when you understand a mistake that you've made. If you lose, it's fine. You learn from mm. it. And that's what chess teaches us to really dig deep. One of the things it teaches to dig deep into the reasons for your failures. Don't make excuses, yeah. face them down, learn from them because the flip side of that, the, the other side of that is growth. I, I want to just, I want to expand on that because in business it's critical. We see mistakes. We can intellectually understand them, but the euphoric moment comes from when you employ a different practice because you actually demonstrated that you learned from that failure. That validation mm. is what makes you grow. It's, in other words, it was like, oh, I did this wrong. You know, two weeks later, you do the same thing. You're thinking, oh, God, I didn't learn it. from it, right? I think that applies in relationships everything, as well. Everything, everything. When you understand this principle, it becomes easier in relationships. Mm. Because there's nothing like saying to the other person, you know what? I was wrong. You were right. And I just learned something deep about myself. Thank oh, you for I love teaching that. me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. man. You know, I, I think it would be sick to get on another chat at some point and cover mastery. Because that's a whole other level. Well, it's we, like we have to this. dedicate we, yourself to something. We like have that. some ideas around this. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a, a, a thought for a part two yeah, at man. some point. I love it. Um, I love it, man. The vibe is great. Yeah, you know when you're around the G's, man, the, the OGs <laughs> that get it done. You know, <laughs> yeah, and the young G's as well. Safe, man. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you, all the things he does, the, you know, puzzle making and app developing, he's got a bloody app. Where does he find the time? What do you mean he's got an app? He's got an app. Right. I think it, uh, you, you, you look up, um, Maurice Ashley teaches chess. If you look at that on the iOS or, or, or play uh, Android store, he's got an app. And, and I mean, I, you know, with all this commentating, all the other things he does, he's building products as well. I mean, mm. it's crazy. Uh, good for him. He's good a polymath. Him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. No, no question. All right. So, a thought for the day. What's We're your thought the for the day? What are you thinking? So I, yesterday it, was, it came to me, and, and I had this common theme. It's like, how do you get on your game? Okay. How do you get ready? And I, I think of this kind of external environment and internal environment that's going on, and it's all about life feeling in balance and, and ultimately being prepared. Mm -hmm. So if things are happening in my life around me, that's a problem. So I've got to be able to nominalize that, set that free, so I can be focused. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, yeah, that's my outside game. My inside game is what are the feelings that make me feel prepared and it's the feelings that can send us off kilter so if I feel good about being prepared it's those two things it's the feelings of my outside environment are fine my ability to feel prepared equals I think I'm going to have a successful game I'm going to be on my game mm -hmm. that's my thought for the day and when I think about this podcast I think how did I fare did I feel good coming in did I feel prepared did I get a successful outcome? And I'm pleased to say, I believe we got a successful outcome. I agree. I love that chat. And in the essence of the great Maurice, a long thing is the wrong thing. That's my thought for the day. <laughs>
Oh, yeah, by the way, that's proprietary. You just stole that thing from him right now. He's going to probably give you an invoice and say, hey, that wrong. Oh, no. He said that came from Chess. Yeah, right, so other Chess owns it. Long thing, wrong thing. Thanks for listening to the Jax Jones and Martin Warner Show. A couple of things before you go. If you want to find out more about Maurice, about Chess, and more about the things it can teach us in life, head to our website, www.jacksonmartinshow.com and let us know what thoughts you have in the comment section. We'd love to hear from you. That's also where you'll find the main video of what you just heard or it's on YouTube if you prefer. Don't forget to like and subscribe because there is much more from us to come.